Hi, and welcome to A Different Kind of Gap Year. You are with the founder and creator, Shen Svales. Let me start by telling you a bit about A Different Kind of Gap Year. Most of us take a gap year you know, in our late teens or in our 20s, but not me. I started mine at age 41. For 20 years, I was either working towards or working as a clinical psychologist. One day in February 2021, I had a complete back breakdown. I was mentally, emotionally and physically exhausted and unable to keep working. Looking back, I can see my mental health decline was a gradual build over time, culminating in the events of February 2021. I know now that what I suffer from was a combination of career burnout, compassion fatigue and quite possibly vicarious trauma and I wasn't far off becoming clinically depressed. These syndromes and clinical conditions are often found in people who are in caring professions such as psychology. To assist with improving and healing from this breakdown, I started to write a blog. It was really a journal about my experiences and you can find this blog at www.adifferentkindofgapyear.com. I write candidly about my journey from the very beginning to where I am now. And some of those experiences I write about are the guilt and shame I carried for ages for believing I had let down my clients, the practice I worked at, and my husband. I also write about the difficulty allowing myself to truly rest and recover, and also dealing with the uncertainty of my future. Besides writing the blog, I knew quite early on it would be helpful for me to talk to other caring professionals who may have or are experiencing similar declines with their mental health. So with this in mind, I started to think it would be great to have a podcast where I interview these individuals about their experiences so more people out there could be witness to these stories. And by doing so, hoping to raise awareness on this really important topic, you know, the mental health of the caring professionals. And, you know, hopefully breaking any stigma a caring professional might have in, in not being well. On a much larger scale, I hope a different kind of gap year podcast can become a springboard for change in our community attitudes and the attitudes of these workers towards getting help. What could be more important than ensuring our caring professionals are well enough to take care of the rest of us? It's like what they say in the plane safety briefing when you're taking off. You need to put the mask on yourself before assisting others. I am so excited to welcome you to the very first episode of A Different Kind of Gap Year podcast where I will be talking candidly with you about my mental health breakdown brought about by my work as a clinical psychologist. But first I'd like to share with you just briefly about my journey into becoming a psychologist. My journey to becoming a clinical psychologist was born out of a few conversations with a lovely regular customer of mine uh, at a local cafe I worked at in my early 20s. At the time I was at a crossroad, I wasn't happy career-wise with what I was doing, but I didn't know where I wanted to go. My customer, this lovely customer of mine, was studying psychology herself and she was probably in her mid-40s at the time. And I think her 
love for it and also my want to understand humans and, and particularly myself really put me on that path of psychology. So I completed my undergraduate training via distance in my hometown of Cairns and then I moved to Brisbane to complete my honours year and postgraduate training in clinical psychology at Griffith University. And while I was studying psychology, I, I started my practical experience through uh, volunteering with Lifeline, which is an Australian national crisis support line. I also worked at CentreCare as a case manager for the long-term um, unemployed. And I actually worked there while I was in between, I'd finished my honours and I was considering whether to apply for postgraduate studies. And then I actually got into postgraduate studies, which was a little bit of a surprise for me. And um, while I was studying uh, towards my clinical psychology uh, master's, I worked for Quitline, which is a telephone support line for people quitting smoking here in Australia. I've also, throughout my training as a clinical psychologist, I was exposed to working in hospitals and community settings. And upon graduating and uh, registering as a psychologist, I pretty much worked in private practices. So all up, I've been on the journey to becoming a psychologist or you know, working as a counsellor or a psychologist for, I'd say, around 20 years. Today I plan to share my story of my mental breakdown, my burnout. And by doing so, I hope I inspire my fellow caring professionals and others out there to know you, we are human too. Up until February 2021, I was working in this great private practice called Zest Infusion in Redland Bay, Queensland, Australia. I've been working there for approximately five years and for the majority of it, I worked full time. I had a caseload of approximately 80 plus clients. I saw six clients per day for four days a week and did the occasional group program or session, which involved one evening per week when they were running. I set aside one day per week for non-client tasks, which ranged from report writing, following up phone calls to GPs, psychiatrists, emails, professional development, research to assist my clients in their coming sessions, and business-related tasks, tax, invoicing. I'd say a typical week would involve a solid 40 to 45, if not 50 hours per week. It was during my sessions with Dr. Haley Quinn that I started to recognise I wasn't well. I started with Haley in, I think it was early 2020. It feels like a lot longer. Her style of supervision uh, focused on helping uh, the caring professional, myself, to explore what is occurring for me in the sessions with my clients. So there was a lot of introspection. It was through this practice, this supervision practice, I discovered I was incredibly fearful and incredibly sad. She coached me to believe I deserved to be happy in my work life. And I started working on making changes in my life to connect with my happiness. I made changes to my work and life outside of work to assist with this. 
But despite making these changes, I was still sad, depressed and exhausted. My signs that I was unwell was uh, wide and varied. There was a constant self-doubt that I couldn't shake. There's constant fear of making a mistake with my clients, not being able to stop thinking about my clients, over-preparing for my sessions, not switching off what I like to call the work mode despite being home, waking up tired every day despite having a you know, decent sleep, engaging in unhealthy eating, which is a big sign of mine that I am unwell. It's a go-to coping behavior. Not so good one, but <laughs> withdrawing from seeing people I normally would hang out with, doing the bare minimum where possible, not feeling pleasure in anything I did, irritability and taking it out on my husband. He told me about this one. I wasn't really aware of it. My don't care attitude, and I feel terrible to say this, but I would often say to my husband, when I was going off to work, I'm off to prepare, pre pretend to care today. It, I still feel sick saying that. And I know I do care, but it was hard to care. Having no compassionate energy for others, so withdrawing from hearing, speaking, checking in with my friends, family, husband's well-being, despite wanting to know. And not being able to focus on my clients, finding myself becoming distracted when working with them. I was in survival mode, really, because I was constantly in threat mode. Being a psychologist, I wasn't a stranger to the fact that these symptoms, these warning signs, like put together was screaming out career burnout, compassion fatigue, and quite possibly vicarious trauma and depression for me. I didn't put it together. However, there was a session I had with a client about a week before I had my mental breakdown. And this client was suffering from these syndromes as well, but also quite clinically depressed and quite possibly PTSD for her. But I left that session and I just had this moment of, I don't know, a voice within saying, you are her. You are experiencing some, if not a lot of what she is experiencing. And this moment was a complete shock for me. My, my mind was like, no, that's not possibly true. <laughs> but it was something to the core that I, that was like, no, no, you are you're not okay. The impact on not being well on my life and on my career has been, again, there's been so many impacts, but some of them has included, it, it was affecting my relationship, my, or relationships, but you know, most notably my marriage. And I do really think that if I continue to push things and continue to become increasingly unhappy, increasingly depressed that it could do irreversible damage to my marriage. It contributed to picking up bugs all the time. I was always sick and, and family would point, point this out to me, but I used to shrug that off. No, 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 it's only mild, I only get mildly sick. But yeah, I was getting sick frequently. 
it led me to have a lot of sick days as well, not just because I, I would get physically sick, which often I would actually still go to work, but I um, had a lot of mental health days and these increased um, uh, you know, in, in numbers you know, with a few months before I, I had the complete mental breakdown. It also affected my finances, of course. I, I, I work for myself. So there's no sick leave. Um, so that would, would af affect my bank account. And of course, having left my career, it has certainly um, affected my finances big time. It also made me question whether I really wanted to be a psychologist and not, not whether I was good enough, although I, I certainly had those thoughts in my mind and they were uh, there a lot but that whether it was the path I was meant to be on as well. Uh, it also contributed to me being a person that I'm not particularly proud of. Now, don't get me wrong, I wasn't completely horrible, but I didn't want to be that irritable wife or partner. I didn't want to be that absent friend or family member. I, I didn't want to be uh, non-compassionate towards my loved ones because I had nothing left. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to be unhappy all the time and depressed. And it just, yeah, it zapped my passion for life away. Like if I wasn't working, I was sitting on home on the couch watching reruns of, I don't know, the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> um, it affected my sleep. I usually still was able to get to sleep most nights, but I'd have a really restless sleep. And often my dreams would be not specifically about clients, but it, but the gist of it would be worrying or stressing. Um, they weren't they weren't fun dreams. And and of course, like leaving my career altogether because of being unwell has set back a lot of things in my partnership with um, my husband. You know, dreams that we have. You know, in owning our own home or even buying a home. <laughs> Uh, traveling, uh, getting a second dog, um, and you know, just just things that we want to do that take money. So you know, as I said, I, I I left my career, my job, as a result of of my mental health, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Hence why I'm writing a blog and doing a podcast about it and, and actually going to therapy as well. I was and still am at times racked with guilt, shame, fear and anxiety with leaving, having left my career, my job. The guilt and shame with no longer being able to help my clients and leaving them the way I did so abruptly. And the guilt and shame for impacting my director's source of income and the work workload placed on her and the reception staff to assist the transfer of care of my client load when I left. The guilt and shame for letting down my husband in our partnership and our dreams for the future. I would describe the initial stages of leaving my job, my career as hell. And... The uncertainty around my future, what I will do too, was not so much now, but was unbearable. To help myself once I became aware, conscious of, of not being well, the first thing I did was 
speak up. So basically from learned experiences in the past, I knew that I needed to speak up, I needed to talk to someone, not to stay quiet and in, and in my own head. I tried to allow room for all of my feelings, again, something that I've learned from the past, and especially my feelings of sadness. During my supervision sessions with Dr. Quinn, I realized that I didn't really listen to the feelings, my sadness feelings, I tended to ignore them, not consciously, just automatically. I then, I also, and this was a hard step, but allowed help in from others. So learning to lean and, and uh, lean on, um, on others who want to and were offering help. So my practice director and friend, Dr. Ilsa Grobler, and my supervisor, Dr. Haley Quinn, and my husband. I held on to the fact that I was not well enough to care for others. I even wrote it down on a piece of paper and put it on my pin board at home, reminding myself that you're not in any shape to care for others, that I had to leave. And it was actually relayed to me that if I had a heart attack or got diagnosed with cancer and needed to have immediate treatment, you know, open heart surgery, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to practice anyway. And so why was this any different? And as time went on, I, I started to go to therapy, which initially I was like, you know, I've got, I've got these coping skills, you know, I'll be fine now that I've stepped away from work. But I, I decided I'm like, no, 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 no. Even if you think, and even if that's true, take yourself off to therapy, lean on someone else for support, to take care of you, to help you in processing with what you are going through. So I did. <laughs> uh, and, you know, what I've found so far is that it's really helped me work on knowing who I truly am, which I don't think I knew before or know yet. And I started my blog, my journal, which was a way uh, to stay accountable to what I was feeling and not move back into old behavioural patterns of ignoring that allowing time for rest and rejuvenation. Um, I have a little mantra I try and repeat to myself whenever I notice that I'm caught up in shooting myself or uh, those to-do lists. It's like, go with peace and grace. And this acts as a little bit of a slowing down button for me, a little bit of a pause and, and go slower. Like I might still be doing that to-do list, but I'm doing it with grace and peace. And I stuck to my routine of exercise and coffee in the morning with my gym friends. I was already in a very good habit of uh, exercising daily. And when time permitted, I would also have a coffee with my gym buddies um, after the session and before I went to work. So I decided to keep that going because I knew this was a really uh, helpful thing for me in, in supporting my mental health. I meditated. Uh, this was something I always felt pulled towards and did occasionally. Uh, I've made more of an effort to meditate since leaving work, 
particularly to help me be present with my uh, feelings of sadness uh, and any other feelings I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. I allowed a place to fuck up <laughs> and learn as I go. So basically letting myself, like it's okay if you don't know what you're doing right now, it's okay if you keep going back into cycles of coping ineffectively or or you're not meditating today like basically giving myself permission to ah oh, fuck it up you know and and we'll learn we'll learn as we go i've always been a bit of a or a major perfectionist and it really plays a or has played a big role in my professional life so this was really important to me just to to let myself make mistakes make errors it's okay we'll learn from them and allowed uh, time and space for creativity and play. This was a big one for me. I, I know as a psychologist the importance of making space for creativity and play in our lives. I preach it to my clients. But was I doing it? No. <laughs> so besides rest and rejuvenation and my therapy work and anyth anything else on my, my list, on my list was also time for play and creativity. Part of taking care of myself since leaving my career, my job, has been to see a professional. Um, her name's Carla and she's a clinical psychologist. And it's early days. We've only, I think, had about six sessions. And we focus mainly on my past, which has been very helpful. And in my previous experiences of seeking us help from a psychologist I've never really delved this deeply into my past and I really find it it's so far being an unraveling of self I feel by getting to know my past and the people relationships and events in it I'm getting to know me the true me and you know she's coming up you know I really feel like I'm discovering her and I'm in the midst of this discovery still, and it's exciting and a little bit scary, but mostly exciting. I, you know, in this process too, um, I have chosen to open up to others. And this is, and was, and sometimes still is, but was terrifying at first. I know I fear letting people down especially those who were directly affected by my decision to leave. I also fear others seeing me as not good enough, you know, that, that I'm not a good enough psychologist, not a good enough person, not caring enough, not kind enough. So I fear letting people down and I fear their judgment of me as a bad person. However, as I spoke up and things unraveled, I was mostly met with an outpouring of concern, love, admiration, affirmation, validation, kindness, understanding, compassion, warmth from the friends, family, colleagues, and clients. It was truly a humbling experience. And for those who did express their feelings of being let down and banded, which there were a few, I get it. I have, and for that I'll be forever sorry but it, but it wouldn't be right to continue to have shown up in their lives because I would have only gotten sicker 
and not being able to care for them in the way that they deserve. One of the first people that I opened up to was the director of the site practice that I worked for at the time, uh, Dr. Ilsa Grobler. And I had set up a meeting, and this was after a supervision session where it, it became more apparent that I wasn't well, that I you know, organised this meeting to discuss working towards finishing up or, or reducing my load more. I wasn't quite sure. And I remember when I started to talk about what was going on for me, that she wasn't surprised at all when I gave her, well, gave her the news, you know, talked about where I was at. She suspected something wasn't well and I wasn't myself, that she had noticed things. And she immediately sprung into action. This amazing woman who, what I see on the outside, has a lot on her plate too, just was immediately there for me, no judgment, you know, none of the fears that I had could only speak more highly of me and even of my decision to put my mental health first and really help me arrive to the decision of needing to, to leave straight away. Uh, you know, it brings um, absolute tears to my eyes right now just to be shown that level of compassion. I mean, it's rare and I'll be forever thankful for it. I think one of the factors that contributed to the poor mental health I was experiencing in my role as a clinical psychologist was the pressure that I felt with the ever-growing wait list with the influx of public wanting to see a psychologist since COVID-19 hit. I felt the weight because I, even prior to COVID-19, had full capacity, like I was, my books were closed and I wasn't accepting new referrals. And of course, as a person who wants to help others, who care deeply for others, this was always really hard. You know, do I take more clients on? And, you know, what kind of impact is that going to have for, for me versus saying no? Um, that kind of pressure. And I know I'm not the only one who feels that. I know it's other psychologists. And, and the wait lists are at least three months, you know, three months, which is not great for our public, of course. It's also not great for our mental health professionals who are human too. And something needs to be done about that uh, to help this system be able to cater um, and it's not, it's not psychologists and mental health professionals working longer and taking on more clients. So yes, I really do think that the system itself, there needs to be changes there in order to look after the mental health professional. So, you know, I think um, one of the things that, you know, the government here in Australia can do is invest more in... Uh, the training of psychologists and mental health professionals. You know, I remember when I went through university, there was only 16 places, I think it was 16, in the postgraduate studies, which was you know, pretty much recommended in, in order to become a registered psychologist. There were other pathways, but they were a lot harder. So 16 places, you know. We need more funding for these postgraduate studies, for these pathways to become a psychologist. 
And, you know, we've seen in the recent budget here in Australia an increase in, in funding for mental health um, services, which is fantastic, you know, particularly, I think, in the youth area, but across the board. But again, if we do not have the psychologists, the mental health professionals there to, to see those people, or, or well enough mental health professionals, what's the point? So funding really needs to be put into, into, the, into this into the training of professionals, um, into different models of practice maybe. You know. um, I don't have all the answers, but they're just some of my thoughts. You know, there was, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and blame game, it's all, you know, the system. You know, there were factors that contributed to my poor mental health that, you know, uh, came from me. You know, early on I wondered if it was more... Um, to do with uh, my the things that I was doing outside of my job, like I didn't have any hobbies or interests. I'm I'm 40, but I, I I'm not a mother uh, by choice, and and so I don't have other focuses, I suppose. And so I was thinking that that could have been contributing to my mental health, and um, so I invested in those things. I started up stand-up paddle boarding. I gave dancing a go. I spent more time or tried to spend time with, with friends and family and making choices there in my relationships, setting boundaries and stuff to, to um, support myself in making connections but not feeling overwhelmed by them. So, you know, try to make those changes. And, and I did those throughout 2020 mainly. And I, I made some changes in my work too, working moving down uh, back from six clients a day to five. Um, but despite making those changes, um, I, I was still not feeling okay. But I think those changes, of course, uh, were helpful. I um, found that there were so many individual factors that I already had and gained from early life experiences that helped me here. Um, I've suffered both uh, social anxiety and clinical depression in my lifetime. And I can see how the wisdom I gained from these experiences and from my psychology degree and, and seeking therapy before helped me with responding quickly to this decline in my mental health. I wish it was a bit more quickly, but you know, uh, certainly I can see the differences compared to you know, me in my, my 20s where my social anxiety and depression was its, at its absolute worst um, to now. Things could have been a hell of a lot worse. So this wisdom that I gained, um, yeah, is priceless, to be honest. And I shudder, shudder is that the right? Shudder? <laughs> I'm not sure what the word is there. Um, to think what things would be like if I didn't have that. And... You know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit weird to actually even be thankful for these really dark experiences, particularly the clinical depression I had in the past, you know, uh, to be grateful that I, I had that because I learnt from that. And I truly believe, as a result, that there's always treasure to be found in the darkness. It just may not be while you're in the darkness itself. I want to finish with... Uh, a few of the treasures, the, the wisdom, you may want to say, that I've gained so far from this lived experience of uh, my mental health depleting as a result of what I do for a living. So these teachings, 
These, these wisdoms, treasures I've gained, uh, first of all, has been that you're never too old to start again. Your happiness matters. A career that makes you sick is not worth it. Learn to lean on others. Be interdependent, not toxically independent. It's okay not to be okay, even as a psychologist. And it's okay to let others down. And you know what? You most likely will when you make a choice that puts yourself first. It's just part of living. And make this time count, even when things are down, the chips are down. You know, learn, change, grow. It's okay to fail. Nothing is a waste. I certainly don't see the 20 years that I've devoted in this area as a waste. I never will. Some people actually are concerned about that when I tell them my story. Oh, my God, you did this for 20 years. Jeez, you know, I just don't see it that way. Nothing is ever a waste. And dream big. This is a big one for me that I'm working on big time. I've always set limits on myself. I know now that that's been a protective thing and I'm not doing it anymore. I am going to dream big and I'm going to go for it. And if I stuff up, if I fail or whatever, well, hey, I gave it my best shot. Thank you so much from the very bottom of my heart for choosing to tune into my very first episode of A Different Kind of Gap Year podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure to share this with you. It has been emotional, I must say, uh, but I feel really great to have it out there and I'm glad that you're listening. And my hope for you is that this helps you in some way or helps you help others. But please subscribe, comment, like, share to your heart's content. Uh, the website is www.adifferentkindofgapyear.com. And if you have a similar story to share on your mental health at work, contact me through my website. I would love to have you on a future podcast episode. Thank you. And remember to take care of you.